Welcome to Different Gravy, not just another Sheffield Wednesday podcast. I'm one of the hosts, Richard Miller, and my co-host, fresh off the phone to his pop-pop, fourth-generation Wednesday fan, Dr. Luke Gledall. How are you doing today, Luke? I'm very good, Rich, yeah. Um, steeped, steeped in, in, in Wednesday, as we'll find out this episode. Dipped into, uh, Dipped into the... River Wednesday, <laughs> held by the Achilles. You, you, you're determined to be the final of your kind, aren't you? You, you refuse to procreate. I don't know. One of your famous things. What am I? What? Sorry. One of the famous things that's known about you on the Wikipedia, on the wiki of Luke Gledel. No? <laughs> Refuses to procreate. Absolutely refuses. I, I guess that fits in the narrative with my sex life. So, you know. <laughs> What's uh yeah, anyway, well I'm not gonna go too far down that line, but uh <laughs> sure, let's abandon that. You want to roll it back and say you're open to offers, that's fine. I think that's <laughs> sure. Oh, we've got off on such a strange foot. I'm apo- uh, apologies. It's um, all right. I think we I think we mentioned this in a previous episode. Was it like uh I've got that LinkedIn, the green profile ring open? <laughs> Open to boning, I think it is. Open to boning. <laughs> Isn't that just having any presence online is basically a, a low level just I, I, I think so, yeah. I think that's that's where we are as I think that's where we are as a human species. Like was all, a, all the time, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a really good uh, SNL sketch a couple of weeks ago, which was like, Why did you like that? or why did you hit like? Um yes. and then yeah. And it was just basically like the only reason anyone ever hits like on an Instagram post is because they're secretly hoping that they will be noticed by that person and somehow finagle their way into <laughs> a, a romantic tryst with them. You know, it's like Kim Kardashian has 200 million followers. Why did you hit like on that photo? Is that where I was sort of hoping she'd see it? And then I think they went back and it's like, you'd hit one from five months ago. Well, I was just thinking if I did an older one, maybe she'd notice that. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh, but we we have a bit of a we're in the uh, you know the the holiday taint of uh, <laughs> of the football seasons uh, between betwixt and between two two, uh, two seasons of football, uh, and we like to stretch our legs a little. And one of the hmm. things we're 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 uh, we're doing this time around. Uh, hopefully, it's a treat. Um, certainly, something I've enjoyed doing uh, for my part in. But uh, we, there's there's folks outside of you and I who get mentioned on this podcast fairly often. Their their, their opinions get aired. Their stories sometimes get aired, um, and we thought it'd be nice to reach out to to a couple of those characters. Those extra sort of uh, hidden characters in the in the in our podcast world, the ex, the extended gravy universe, uh, and um, <laughs> that's and right, folks. It's a spin off TV series. Yes, we're doing we're doing six part mini series about uh, all of the people mentioned, whether you want it or not. One division. <laughs> Can we use that? Division one, one division. 
mm-hmm. from different gravy. But uh, yeah, so effectively boils down to uh, this week's episode is uh, you having a a conversation with your your father, mm-hmm. and uh, the follow up episode will be me talking to my sister Suze, who gets uh, watches matches with me and uh, and gets mentioned fairly often as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think probably without further ado, let's let's cut to the the interview itself and then we can talk a bit about it afterwards sound good sounds great so welcome to part one of two of the different gravy interview sessions and today i'm uh, i've got the pleasure of chatting with my dad steve gladwell um so hi dad hello there luke good <laughs> to talk to you it's lovely and to good talk to, to talk about too. wednesday although over the years we have spoken many times of life in sheffield six <laughs> indeed um i was wondering dad if just a, an intro for yourself and your and your backstory can you tell me about how you became a wednesdayite okay well i'm basically a third generation wednesdayite my grandfather who was i don't know whether he was born there but he lived in neepsend which was once wednesday went out to hillsborough was very much wednesday territory um and he sort of flew the flag initially. Um, I used to talk to him about football um, in the 30s a little bit, not as much as I wish I had, um, because he would recount various people um, with names that if I look through the record books, I go, oh, yeah, you know, but (laughs) I never saw play, like Jimmy Seed and so on, um, who were very influential. Um, Mark Hooper and Dallas Rimmer and players of that ilk. The point being that he passed it on to my mother. I think my uncle was also a Wednesdayite, but it was my mother who kind of continued the tradition. And it seemed logical that I should pick it up in as much as my father was born in Manchester and was actually a Manchester United fan. And when we lived in Salford, being in the shadow of Old Trafford almost. Um, He would take me along to watch Manchester United Reserves. But my passion was, once I discovered there was a team called Wednesday, was for Wednesday. So you are a fourth-generation Wednesdayite. So there you go. (laughs) And and that's really just how it started. It, It was really very simple in that respect. It's just a family thing, you know. It's tribal loyalty. I thought it was interesting. I remember you saying that my, you know, your dad, uh, who I never met, my granddad, who, you know, was you said he was born in Newton Heath, I think, before. Yeah, that's right. Um, Blakely, that sort of area of Manchester, but Newton Heath, yeah. Um, but I don't know whether my grandfather on that side, on the Lancastrian side, was a Man U supporter, for he died before I was born. So... You know, um, I could have been sat here talking about why Maguire is such a terrible defender, but I'm not going to be. Well, I, I often make references to Harry Maguire's uh, large turning circle on the podcast, Dad, so you might have heard that. So, yeah, so maybe yes, there's a bit indeed. of a link so, anyway. You know, so. it, it's clearly a, a thing to be shared. So, Dad, do you have any do you have any memories kind of regarding, I guess, you know, my, my family? 
that you want to bring up regarding Wednesday? Yes. I, I mean, I remember going with your older brother to watch Wednesday in a driving snowstorm to beat, and they beat Swansea. And I remember walking to the ground thinking, I can't possibly play in this. But they did, and they won. That was a happy day. Um, absolutely hammered Swansea, I think. Um, the one story I do remember was going with your mother. We'd been on holiday in Cumbria, and this was before any of you children were born. Um, and we'd gone from Cumbria over to Middlesbrough. It was end of season, and Wednesday were not playing particularly well. Um, the game at Middlesbrough was awful because Wednesday were losing 6-0. And I uh, remember saying to your mum, we should go, you know, because it ain't going to get any better. And we headed off the terracing at what was Ayrson Park um, and the gates were locked. So we had to go back and wait. And another goal went in. <laughs> Again, and this time the gates were open. And as we left the ground, there was a or as Middlesbrough scored their eighth goal, um, which I didn't see. So sadly, I always resolve that one should never leave a football ground before the end. Uh, that day, I think it was lost at 6 <laughs> mm. 0. I had, I had a similar it. memory of um, going away to watch Wednesday at Leicester, where it was Brian Laws' last game. No. And I, it was just absolute drag. It was just, I, I, I you know, I, I really enjoyed what I got to see of Brian Laws managing Wednesday. But, uh, you know, strong, strong memories of just kind of watching him at the point where didn't really have any options. And I, I hate saying this about someone, but kind of looked a bit clueless. But, uh, yeah. you know, the, 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 I remember going down after the second goal to try and get out of the ground and uh, the steward not letting us out. And then the third one came <laughs> in and then the third one scored and then they started playing yeah. um, started playing the Kasabian music they had and then they, they just went, okay, just let them, let them go. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's a rule amongst these football stewards is if they're suffering, make them suffer more. <laughs> make them stay and suffer. Yeah. Do you do you have a memory? Like do you? This wasn't a question I kind of prompted you on, so I apologize. But you're kind of leading me in this direction, Dad. Like, what was your first memory of being a Wednesday, or your earliest memory that you can you can recall? Um, it's difficult because I I played football in the street as a kid, as, as everyone did, and certainly in Salford. Then this was amazing. There were play streets where you kids would play on the streets and the road was closed certain times of the day. Um, you wouldn't have it now because there are too many cars around and people are too impatient. But I probably played football, but I don't think there was ever an identity with a club the way there is now. I think a lot of kids have, obviously, football shirts bought them. Um, they're introduced to it at a much, much earlier age. There are babies with bibs saying, I'm a Wednesday, aren't you know, and all the rest of it. Up the <laughs> um, so uh, it didn't happen then. There were no, um, you know, fan shirts. So I kind of, I ended up in North London um, with my parents, obviously. And my father had taken me along to watch Spurs a couple of times. 
Um, in fact, I think he once took me on a Christmas day, which is probably one of the last Christmas day fixtures ever played, of which I remember nothing but a long walk because there were no buses. Um, we lived about three miles from Tottenham. And so um, I kind of was introduced to football. I'd gone with my parents, I remember, to watch Manchester City play somebody um, over in Manchester. But there wasn't an affinity with a particular club until I think at some point my mother must have told me about how wonderful Wednesday were. And I started looking at the results. And at that time, in the late 50s, Wednesday were coming out of their famous yo-yo period and actually had put together a team that could challenge and did challenge in what was then the first division. Actually, it's still the first division now, Mm. um, but we have a new title to glory in, but it's still the first division. So I kind of fastened on to this, but... um, I went to a school in Boreham Wood, which was a London County Council overflow estate, which was full of Spurs fans. I think everybody came from Edmonton or or Tottenham. And um, I, of course, had no interest in Spurs, who at that point were the mighty Spurs. You know, they they were quite a big, well, they were a very big club in England, won the double first time in the 20th century. So, and Wednesday finished runners up to them. But my first recollection of watching Wednesday was I went to watch Wednesday play at Arsenal on Boxing Day 1960. And I had my, probably my best friend was actually an Arsenal fan. And we decided to go together and we sat in the lower stand at Highbury. And the the stand was sort of, the seats were continued as a terrace in front of me. Um, Wednesday drew 1-1 and it was a misty day. There's another bit of a story after this, but it's the only time I've ever been punched at a football match. I, and we were sat on the front row of this, um, the lower stand, as it were. And some kid must have decided, because I had a Wednesday scarf on, it was blue and white, obviously, and not red and white, that I should be punched. So he jumped up from the terracing and punched me on the top of the head. Now, I was quite surprised at this because I don't think violence at football matches was a thing then, but clearly it happened. And since then, I've never actually been in any physical confrontation, but uh, I take my hat off, although I didn't have a hat on at the time, to this Arsenal fan. Uh, The the corollary of this story is that um, Wednesday lost a player that day, which is very tragic, is that they had a promising young inside forward called Dougie McMillan. And McMillan had travelled with the team. In those days, there was no substitute. And he'd gone, but they used to let younger players travel with the team to get the flavour of, Mm. um, you know, being at the big game. And... um, on the way back north in the coach, he was sat at the front and it was icy. The coach skidded off the road. His leg was trapped and the only way to get him out was to cut his leg off. And that was the end of Dougie McMillan's career. Um, I do believe that subsequently he did some coaching with Hallam, um, even 
with his, you know, artificial leg. Um, but that was the end of his football career. So, yes, I, I kind of remember that game for two things. One is reading the next day about this terrible accident and also being punched on top of the head. <laughs> but there we are. That was my first contact with Wednesday. And who knew that Wednesday would create so much ire amongst fans and the gods? But there we go. <laughs> So that I think you're kind of picking into obviously, you know, obviously Wednesday at a different age and different generations. Uh, what's your what's your favorite Wednesday eleven of all time? If you could pick that, who would you? Um, now this is very interesting because I, I kind of made a note on this, and I thought first of all, what formation would I go with? Mm, now, that's a difficult one. Yeah. Well, you know, in the old days, it was always two, three, five, um, and. Um, the number of um, sort of articles you saw of um, old footballers choosing their favourite ever team was always two three five. I'm going to go with four four two. I know it's not fashionable, but um, okay, here we go. Mm. Springett in goal. Ron Springett, not Peter. Peter was always in the shadow of his brother. And the story goes that he made this fabulous save on joining Wednesday in 67. And the comment loudly from the crowd was, your brother would have caught that. Um, Ron Springer, the only Wednesday player to ever win a World Cup medal, um, although it came kind of at the end of his life um, because he was on the bench and, and it was a late decision to give them World Cup medals after 66. Springer was probably the best goalkeeper I've ever seen in a Wednesday shirt. I mean, there have been some good goalkeepers. There've been some memorable games from them. But Springer didn't let more than four goals in on, for about seven years. He, he really was an excellent goalkeeper. Um, and of course... <laughs> He came from QPR. He lived in London. He used to train with QPR, not with Wednesday. He'd come on match day. And apparently he played centre-forward in practice matches. Um, and he really liked it. I remember going to see Wednesday. We, there used to be benefit matches, testimonials. You don't really get them mm. so much now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was one where, I can't remember who it was for, but Springer actually in the second half played centre-forward and scored two goals. Admittedly, it was just a kickabout. But on the mm. other hand, he, you know, he was also in an era when goalkeepers had to be braced for contact. Now they're a protected species. You know, nobody dare <laughs> touch a goalkeeper because they fall over and wave their arms feebly. But um, you, a goalkeeper then had to stand up to robust challenges, let's say. Mm-hmm. So Springett in goal. Oh, one final story about Springett. He had a very good record against Jimmy Greaves, who you, I'm sure you've heard of, mm-hmm. who apparently he used to mock Jimmy Greaves by saying, are you the Greaves who scores all the goals? Anyway, um, right back has to be Roland Nilsson. There can be no doubt in my mind. Probably one of the finest footballers I've ever seen, uh, you know, as a player. Um, And 
there were apparently personal issues why he went back to Sweden, but he could really have been at Hillsborough for 10 years. Uh, you know, I mean, um, anyway, um, he was excellent. Left back, I'm going to go straight to left back, and I'm going to say Gary Megson's dad, Don. Don mm. was basically a tank. Um, he played in the 60s. He was captain of Wednesday. Um, and when Wednesday lost in the 66 Cup final, which I still, still hurts, um, the, these things never go away. Um, he was the first um, losing captain to uh, take the team on a, a lap round Wembley. You know, so tremendous, powerful guy. You know, he played over 440 games the Wednesday. Um, he was just incredibly solid. Centre-backs. Now, we have to have two centre-backs in the current mode. It didn't used to be that way. It was centre-back and kind of left half in the old uh, structure. I would go with Peter Swan. Again, of the same era of Megson, Peter Swan was the most elegant footballer I've ever seen. Um, very, very commanding. He should have played more for England. He fell ill before the 62 World Cup in Chile and lost his place. He probably would have been in the squad for 66, but as we all know, there was the bribes case. Mm-hmm. which was a great shame. Um, he did come back. He did come back to Wednesday. And he never scored for Wednesday. He barely crossed the halfway line. That was just not his job. And yet he was very good in the air. Um, I, um, I'll tell you a story about Swan later. Anyway, um, but interestingly, he after leaving Wednesday, having come back from the bribery thing, he went to Bury, and he scored for them after two minutes, I believe. So it's like 270, 280 games for Wednesday, more than that. Never scored, goes to Bury and puts one in. Next to him, this is the difficult one. It's either Des Walker, who also was famous for not really crossing the halfway line, and very good England international, and of all people, Laurie Madden. Now, Mm. Laurie Madden played alongside Mick Lyons. Um, He came on a free transfer. He was kind of an old-fashioned defender. I can't describe it more than that. He just (laughs) simply did his job. And he wasn't, I don't think he was dirty. I don't think he was physical. I think he had to be. But I don't think there was anything that marked him out other than he was just there. He just did the right things. Um, so it's a toss-up between Madden or Walker. I'd put one of them on the bench, obviously. <laughs> but you're not asking about the bench. Um, now my midfield four. Okay. On the right wing, I would have to go. And I'm talking wingers here because I still mm. believe in wingers. You know, I still believe in the person herring down the line and putting it across. Um, I would have to go with Willie Henderson. Now, Henderson came briefly at the end of his career. He 
Goff, come on. I think he came on a freeze. The story was he was short-sighted, so all he could do would beat people. He used to play with his socks rolled down. You wouldn't allow it now. Referees would stop and send you off to put your shit pads in. But Willie Henderson played with socks round his ankles. He was small, squat, grinned a lot, and he had a kind of zest for playing. It's a shame we didn't see him when he was younger. Um, but he, he was quite something. And on the left, I'll go to the left wing this time. Of course, it's got to be Chris Waddle. Who else could it be? Um, I've seen some complete failures on the left at Hillsborough. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I've got to say that Waddle had it all. Um, you know, any player who can score against that other team in Sheffield, um, who shall remain nameless, like Voldemort, we shall never name them. Um, I, um, I, I, I think Waddle was just superb. Inside what would be kind of midfielders inside forwards, well, John Sheridan, clearly, you know, he at his best, uh, he was... He just did got it right. There's been other midfielders who had flashes of it. Bannon has got it, obviously. Um, there's a guy called Brian Hornsby, who for a time I thought was absolutely superb. Um, but Sheridan, yeah. And even if nothing else, scoring against Manchester United at Wembley, well, you know, we, we, we've got to take our, uh, you know, uh, hats off to that. Um, next to him, I would go with somebody who scored three times at Wembley for different clubs, Jim McCalliog. Now, McCalliog came to Wednesday from Chelsea in the mid-60s. Um, he was Scottish lad. He scored at Wembley for Wednesday. He scored the following year for Scotland at Wembley. And 10 years after that or so, he scored for Southampton at Wembley to win them the cup. So uh, McCallyog had, to me, he was busy, creative. Um, he could score. He scored in the semi-final and the final for Wednesday, um, as far as I can recall. And McCallyog really was, to me, an excellent Midfielder, he he played actually the Wednesday manager at the time, Alan Brown. Wednesday didn't have a big centre forward that they wanted to rely on. Although interestingly, they let a guy called John Hickton go to Middlesbrough, who kept banging them in, you know, like crazy. But um, Wednesday played the two inside forwards, Ford and Phantom. Um, as the attack, with McCalliog as a false number nine, and the two wingers, Quinn and Pugh, were dropped back to a kind of midfield role. So it was like a, you know, um, rather than a traditional W formation of the time, it was an M. And I thought McCalliog was very good. Now we come to the strikers. Mm. David Hurst, at his best, I... I, I, he just was a goal scorer and you know these people should be treasured people who know how to put the ball in the net and he did although curiously I still remember him putting a header over against Hull 
I think he scored four goals in that game. And I was furious that I thought it was a simple header that he managed to steer over the bar. Um, and next to him, I would probably go, because you can't have two strikers the same, I would go with John Phantom. Phantom, Phantom, depends how you want to pronounce it. Phantom was born in Sheffield. He was apparently good at cricket. He lived at, um, you know, Pittsmore, Burngreave. Um, he scored over 150 goals for Wednesday. Um, he just was always in the right place um, to put the ball in the net. Again, goal scorer, that's what you need. He only got one England cap, which I think was against Luxembourg. Um, which, But it was a time when there were a lot of choice for England. It's like now, there's always a lot of choice for England players. But at least he got something. So that would be my 4-4-2. Um, can't. I'm probably being unfair to some excellent players who mm. I've left out of it. Um, and it, like all these things, it's a matter for great debate. Who was better? Because we can never see them on the pitch at the same time. Um, and we must also remember there was a decline in all of them. I mean, Springer, the story went round that his eyesight was going, which is why Wednesday swapped him back to QPR and got his brother Peter. Um, uh, you know, McCallyog went to Wolves because Wednesday were in decline. Waddle was coming to the end of his career. You know, that, so there is always a sadness that, you know, you remember their best bits and mm. not you know, uh, how, in a, in a sense, it begins to end up. Hurst had an appointment with a, a stone at the Middlewood training ground, as he told me. Yeah, yeah. Um, players have to, I suppose, drop out of the game in all sorts of odd ways, hmm. you know, or, you know, begin their decline in a, in a quite unexpected way. But... There we go. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me your top three goals you've seen. And I guess that could well, either be for Wednesday or against Wednesday. Well, you could, you could probably... Uh, there, mm. There's lots of... The thing about goals, of course, is you see a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And some of them are memorable, of course. And some of them, not really. They, the ball just ends up in the net. And there are times where you think, I don't know how that went in. This was a particular nightmare when, for a time, I used to report reserve matches in Sheffield, both Wednesday and at the other place. Um, and I used to dread when there was a gold mouse scramble because there was no one else for me to ask. Um, I believe the tradition in football journalism was to ask everyone else in the um, press box <laughs> who put it in the net. Um, but anyway... Um, Top goals, without a doubt, um, the one that a player who I, I used to like, this was guy played right back for Wednesday called Peter Johnson, scored for Wednesday at Spurs. Now, this was um, a game in um, November of 62, and I'd gone to watch Wednesday because I lived down south. I could really only watch Wednesday when they went to London. 
and I went along to White Hart Lane, and I think Wednesday had been tonked at White Hart Lane the previous season, and I kind of wasn't that, you know, Spurs were going well, Wednesday were okay-ish at that point, and um, Johnson played right back for Wednesday. He'd come from Rotherham as a um, an outside right, but Wednesday had made him into a right back, and he was injured. Now, I this was a days before substitutes, and if a player hadn't broken his leg, you know, if he was put back on the field. Um, and I remember Johnson being taken off with a towel of all things round his shoulders as if that would help. Um, and he came back on and he was limping on the wing. Um, Wednesday got a breakaway, the ball was played to him. And he set off running for the Spurs goal. Now, White Hart Lane at the time, it's all, it's all gone now. But the pitch was never great at White Hart Lane, even in the, mm. this time of the year. It was November. And he kept going. And Spurs had been caught out. And Maurice Norman, the centre-half, was snapping at his heels but didn't bring him down. He, he, he could have, these days, you almost think, yeah, that's going to be the professional foul. And Johnson got to the edge of the area and the Spurs keeper came out and Johnson planted the most lovely shot, just tucked it inside the post, a foot inside the post, a foot off the ground, and the game finished 1-1. Now, I think that incredibly brave run, and he certainly was far from fit when he did it, he was out for several games, obviously, afterwards. You know, it, it was... I like to think that goal was the best I've ever seen. Having said that, there have been so many good goals. Mm. You know, um, you can pick out Bannon at Wimbledon. Sorry, MK. Don't. <laughs> Did I let that slip out? Mm. Um, so Bannon at um, Milton Keynes. Mm. Um, uh, and so on, you, you know, um, John Harks, the American at Derby, where mm. he beat Peter Shilton from about mm. 40 yards. Uh, and of course, we've already mentioned, or I've mentioned, Waddle scoring that free kick against the other lot at Wembley. All of these things stand out. Um, but there are odd goals that stand out. Um, I remember Wednesday had this midfielder called Peter Eustace, who took a penalty. And this would, nobody else would remember this, but I remember thinking at the time, that was well done. Eustace took a penalty and hit the post and it rebounded out. And of course he couldn't get to it, but it fell to a Wednesday centre forward called John Ritchie. Now, John Ritchie had come from Stoke. He scored for Stoke against Wednesday. He scored for Wednesday against Stoke. And he went back to Stoke where he continued scoring against Wednesday. And Ritchie met it with a volley, which I didn't think was an easy thing to do, and put it in the back of the net. So the assist, I suppose, if you want to say, went to Eustace's penalty. The thing about um, Richie was he was big, tall, and everybody thought he was a big softy. He scored goals, but he never seemed to throw his weight around. However, at that moment, he put the ball in the net. Um, th there were really just so many goals 
but I suppose the other one I would have to pick out is Crossley, the goalkeeper against Southampton when mm. Wednesday were 3-0 down. And um, I remarked to your older brother who was with me there, oh, look, Crossley's going up for this corner, losing 3-2, and the header goes in. Beautiful moment. Um, having, say, having said that, I had seen already um, goals from goalkeepers, notably Peter Ogrizovic with a drop kick for Coventry, which went over Martin Hodges' head on first bounce and into the Wednesday goal. It was Steve Ogrizovic, wasn't it? Sorry. Steve Ogrizovic, yes. Yeah. And what did I call him? Peter. Peter, no, no, no. He's definitely a Steve, um, like me. And um, <coughs> I have to tell you that goal. The si- the silence must have lasted for two seconds when the ball flew over Hodge's head and into the net at the cop end. And <laughs> it was this sort of it seemed like an eternal silence. And gradually people were saying, That's the goal that nobody could believe it. <laughs> <laughs> um if ever yeah, if ever know. a goal needed a declarative statement, it was that one. You said. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I used to have, you know, I, I knew this guy who who wrote for TV. I've told you this. And um, he used to laugh about the fact, you know, there were comics like Roy of the Rovers. Mm. You, you heard of Roy of the Rovers? Yes, yes, okay. yeah, yeah. Haven't everybody. And he said there would be a drawing of Roy Race scoring a goal and the crowd in the background, there would be one voice saying, that's quite a shot, or that's a really good goal. <laughs> and on the other side of the terrace, there would be another voice saying, yes, he's good, isn't it? Like, this is the only, the only conversation in the whole ground yes. is between two strangers, mm. you know, 50 yards apart. Um, to, so, to yeah. Everyone else very politely courting silence that these two strangers can uh, yeah. have a banal conversation. <laughs> yeah. And, but that was the art of comic, so we, we shouldn't knock it. Um, yeah, other than that, um, I mean, I never saw people like Derek Dooley play. Um, I probably missed all sorts of good goals. I seem to remember Chris Brunt getting, uh, you know, and Whelan, the player, you know, scoring stunning goals and things like that. But mm. In the context of the occasion, something seemed more, more significant than others. Yeah, that's very true. Oh, and I must must mm. say that one more best mm. goals ever. Who can possibly forget the Boxing Day massacre and Meller belting in that long-range shot to start off the defeat, that famous defeat of the other lot? Was it so? That was Ian, that was Ian Meller, wasn't it? Neil Mel's, yeah. Neil Mel's dad. Was his nickname yeah, Spider? Yes, he was. He was a gangly outside left. It's one of the peculiar things that we were talking earlier about outside left. Why they either don't last longer or, I don't know, they, they kind of don't make a continued impact. But, yeah, Mello did well that day. And 
Uh, and it was a great, great goal. Mm. Mind you, all those four goals were great. Let, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. They all went in the right place. Um, so greatest goals. So many. Mm. Um, so many that I wish I, you know, could relive. Um, I mean, yes, we've now got the miracle of YouTube to start watching them. Did this kind of conversation before that, like just uh, going on goals? Were you, were you at the game when um, was it the? I think it was Hurst for Wednesday against Man City, um, and the there was no cameraman at the game, so there's no there's no kind of recorded coverage. I think he scored a hat trick, and he went in net as well. I remember him going in the net. I don't remember the goals. There, there were some peculiar uh, things like that. I don't know why there would be no cameras at the game. And I, I can't remember it. There is a story Except about Except I it do being, remember him going in goal. There is a story about it being a rarity because of some camera mishap. And it was like one of the the rareness of, you know, no... Now they go with two no coverage to guard against it. <laughs> yes. I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Um... um Going on to Wednesday memories, Dad, do you uh, top three memories or even feel free to please give me more memories? Well, over the years, and, and a lot of them are sort of things sometimes not directly to do with football. I mean, there was a time I was nearly locked in Hillsborough. Um, <laughs> I, um, I'd gone to report a reserve match. And there was the usual sparse, a hundred people in the crowd, and, I, and then I was in the press box. Now, in those days, the press box was next to um, the director's box, and there was a press room under the stand. And the idea was, you went into the press room and you picked a telephone up, the old-fashioned type, none of this modern technology, and plugged it in under a little bench so that you had somewhere to write your notes. And, you know, and, and you would do the report. I would have to do 80 words on, um, on the game. And then I would have to phone in the result to uh, a press agency in London, because in those days, newspapers, they don't do it now. Newspapers used to publish the results of all sorts of matches. There was a list every day of things like, you know, football combination reserves and things like that. So I'd I, I phoned in the result, whatever it was. I can't remember it was again. So the ground was, they were beginning to turn the floodlights off. And I went to take the phone back and leave the ground. I got to the press room and it was locked. And I thought, oh, God. So I had a phone in my hand, you know. So immediately I put it back somewhere safe and went down to the door and the doors were locked and there was no one around and then the lights in the stand began to go off and I was tearing through the south stand desperately looking for a door that I could bang on and as fate would have it the there was a door into the players lounge and I pushed it and they hadn't locked it properly and this bloke said Oi, what are you doing here? I said, trying to get out. So that that was just one of those panic moments of 
you know, what do I do? You know, um, so that was a memory of Wednesday. Um, gratefully, I, I did not spend the night in Hillsborough, curled up in the South Stand waiting for dawn. Mm. So you you covered reserve matches. So you, so you work for the just as a bit of background, people will know you work for the Star, didn't you? There? Yeah, but this wasn't done through the Star. This was an oh, agency okay. um, which has gone. The agency used to be on London Road, and they would for some reason have this um contract to um go and cover reserve matches which of course then were midweek now i've got to tell you the only saturday one i ever covered was the worst game of football i've ever seen (laughs) wednesday were playing blackpool reserves or the blackpool paper insisted they were called blackpool reserve not plural. So I was watching Wednesday play Blackpool. It was March. It was a sunny afternoon. It was the only Saturday reserve fixture I ever covered. They must have had um, other people to do, you know, the Saturday games. I just got the midweek games, either, you know, the other place or Hillsborough. And... um, This game started. I had to phone in a report every 15 minutes to Blackpool uh, with an update of how the game was going. Probably 40, 50 words. Uh, That's what they wanted to to cover this. Mm. And this game, there was one shot on goal after 10 minutes and nothing else happened. And if I say (laughs) nothing else happened, I mean nothing I was reduced to making a note of throw-ins. There was just nothing. And I was having to phone these words in to Blackpool every 15 minutes, basically saying it was a nice day. (laughs) Um, There were throw-ins taken. Um, It was just horrible. And then to follow it up, I had to do 200 words on the game for the Blackpool paper which I think I described the weather for as long as I could. And, um, well, that was that was Really chewed up that allowance on the weather, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are some nil-nil draws that you think, that was a great day. I've got to say, that nil-nil draw was the worst thing I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah, I'd rather go and have root canal treatment than watch that game again. Um, so there was that. The other sort of memory um, of covering those reserve matches. One of the games was uh, 7-4, you know, and that was, and I can't really, I think Wednesday were playing Huddersfield reserves and then the finish 7-4. Um, so there were, there were good times as well. Um, my other sort of memory was sometimes it's the fans. Um, I went to Hillsborough once, it was 65, Wednesday it was Boxing Day fixture, although mm. it was the 27th of uh, December. And it was a nice day. And um, the thing about football back in the 60s was that everybody smoked. Um, and everybody at Christmas got cigars, all little cigars. So the aroma at um, football matches, Boxing Day, was just unbelievably rich, you know, with all this cigar smoke. <laughs> and, of course, even on the cop where it was open, because, you know, there was no cover on the cop, 
Um, yeah, you, the, astonishing. Um, and Wednesday we're playing Arsenal, and Wednesday we're three 0 up after twelve minutes. Um, and of course, we Wednesday are so thoroughly enjoying this. And um, I remember this guy turning up, pushing his way through the crowd with his little cigar in his hands. And like a lot of people who had cigars for Christmas presents, looking very smug, saying, what's the score? What? Because there was no electronic scoreboard, anything mm. like that. And being told it was 3-0 and him being 12 minutes late or so, he'd missed three goals. You know, the look on his face was priceless. I still recall that. Fortunately for him, Wednesday did get another goal, so he had something to cheer. The other thing I remember, and this is the worst thing I think I ever did um, as a football fan, because it was so brainless, was... I'd been to see Wednesday about that time play Leeds at Hillsborough. Mm. And Wednesday had won 3-0. This was um, Easter Monday. And I thought, you know, Leeds had just come up, you know, Jack Charlton, you know, Norman Hunter, etc., Bremner. And I thought, oh, you know, we're, we're really good. I'll go to Leeds to watch Um uh, you know, the re- the return, because then games were, you know, you played somebody on like Easter Monday, on an Easter Tuesday, you would have the return fixture. Footballers will put up now with, you know, two games in 24 hours, but that, that's how it was then. So I got on the train to go to Leeds, and I'd never been to Leeds before. And in those days, trains had little compartments. It wasn't a, a long run through of a, you know, open seats and you know and you were squashed into this these little compartments with individual doors on bench seats and there were probably about 10 of us crowded into this compartment and as we were pulling into Leeds the train slowed up and stopped and it was right and you could see um, Elland Road from the train mm-hmm. And so, and God knows why I did what everyone else did. Somebody said, let's go. We won't go to the station. And everybody poured off the train to run across the train tracks. And I still shudder to think what, what the hell was so, you know, hundreds of Wednesday fans leaping from an admittedly stationary train, but running blindly across train tracks just so they could get to Welland Road without going into the station. And, of course, I went with everybody else. So kind of one of those brain-dead, why did I do that things afterwards? I mean, there was no, fortunately, there was no train coming the other way. Um, so that, that was incredibly stupid, but you do these things when sometimes you're a bit younger. As it happened, Wednesday lost 2-0, so it wasn't that much fun. (laughs) On the other hand, I survived. Um, So there are all sorts of things that you remember. Um, I remember Wednesday beating Manchester United 5-4 in 68, and it was a lovely August day. And I still remember a brown beer bottle flying through the air, somebody at the back of the cop had obviously finished with this beer bottle and god knows who they were but they hoisted this beer bottle down the cop towards the front 
I can still remember this brown beer bottle spinning through the air. I don't know who. Uh, it was awful. But this type of thing used to happen in football. Now, um, nobody throws plastic cups around like they used to throw beer bottles. And there's me thinking that football, no, it wasn't that violent, you know. My other big memory, and this was, I mentioned Swan before. I'd, I'd gone to, being in London, I'd gone to watch Wednesday play at Chelsea. And um, Chelsea then were a middling team. They, they, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. They had good players. And the ground was awful. It had a dog track around it, you know. Um, mm. So I was on the halfway line. And, of course, I, I had my Wednesday scarf on, which was blue and white like Chelsea. And um, Frank Blumstone, I think, was a winger for Chelsea. And God knows what he'd done. But he was on the halfway line. And Peter Swan, right in front of where I was, you know, so fortunately, you know, it was separated by the dog track. And um, Swan wandered over to stand next to him. And I watched and thought, why? And with the referee was distracted, Swan kicked, I think it was Blundstone on the ankle, who went down like a sack of potatoes. And Swan haired back to the centre circle. The crowd were seen near me and were howling angrily. I slid my Wednesday scarf off. (laughs) 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 Nothing to do with me. Um, Football was tough then, you know. Um, Things like this happened. Um, I remember going to watch Rotherham play Wolves and a former Wednesday player was playing for Rotherham. I don't know whether I should name him, um, if he's still alive. Um, But I saw him jump for the ball and come down with his knee in the back of a guy, a Wolves player, which I think was deliberate. And I felt, I actually felt sick. I, you know, I actually thought, you know, again, right in front of me, I thought, that's awful. Mm. But these things used to happen. So you kind of remember odd things like that rather than great flowing football in a way. Yeah, you talk about the great games and the great players, but it's the odd things like going to away matches and being able to walk round the ground to get to the behind your own team's goal. You know, you would pass the home fans going in the opposite direction at half time. All that's gone now, you know. You mm. stay in your seat, you know. But you, you used to go and stand and watch football and you know, and, and the funny thing about all this was if there was someone near you sounding off, and people did, you would just go and stand somewhere else. You, know, you can't do that now. Mm. You know, stay in your seat. You bought that seat. That's your seat. So you, you're that's saying the, uh, the, the people in the crowd at Roy the Rovers could have had that conversation closer to each other? They could. They could have got mm. closer to each other and not had to shout. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they really didn't do their voice in box any good to to do that. Yeah, so (laughs) there are all sorts of odd things I remember. I mean, uh, you know, meeting. I I did meet a few of the players, not many. 
Um, well, that's going to kind of dovetail into, I guess, my my final question I got prepared for you, which is uh, you've mentioned some kind of stories about your memories of kind of covering the club and having those kind of behind the scene moments that, mm. you know, I think I've been a little bit fortunate to have a couple within my Wednesday fandom. And, uh, you know, I, I have my own memories of, uh, you know, Darren Potter requesting uh, that he has uh, that he has Sky Sports in his hotel. Not, not, not quite, uh, not quite worthy to make a full story of, but, <laughs> but things like that. I, I don't know. It depends who was paying, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yes. No. So, do you, do you have any sto- other fun stories about covering the clubs? You've mentioned your one about being in the, uh, you know, nearly locked within Hillsborough Stadium. No. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um. I never had that trouble at uh, the other place. Um, although some kids did come, a couple of kids did come up to me there and want my autograph, um, which I took me a lot to persuade them that I wasn't actually anyone important, just because I was sat in the press box. It was really nice of them. Um, I don't know what they would have done with my autograph, um, nor did they know who I was. Of course, the other thing I remember was um, I used to look like George Best. This you may find extremely hard to believe, mm. but I had a beard and a shaggy haircut in the best style. And I was once on a bus in Sheffield, and this kid came up to me and said, uh, you're George Best, aren't you? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, yes, you are. <laughs> will you sign my, will you sign this? I no, I'm not George Best. Mm. What on earth is George Best doing on a bus in Sheffield? In Sheffield, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, um, but anyway, I shaved the beard off and no longer looked like George Best. I think it was a beard and the shaggy hair when I had them, um, which did it. The only other thing I remember was um, I, I was talking to Mick Lyons at the Wednesday training ground, and it was the day Wednesday signed Imre Verardi. Um, Verardi had to borrow a pair of boots because he'd just been signed from Newcastle. And we, you know, whipped down from the northeast to, um, <laughs> you know, and 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 this is, you know, do players borrow football boots now, or, or are they all very I, well I don't. equipped? It, it's I, we. I think we all love a story of a player having to be hoisted somewhere very quickly, and uh, you know, barely getting a bin bag to toss some uh, belongings into, you know, to put their medals in. Yeah. You know? And and also, I remember going to meet a player once, and Brian Marwood turned up wearing a pink jumper, one of those fine V-neck pink jumpers. But nobody wore pink in those days, and and everybody was a bit astonished. Did he get any flack for his pink jumper? Well, there were kind of a few jibes, but I I think in the you know the way football clubs are, they're they're all used to this. They Mm -hmm. all do this. They are they all banter. It's actually the reason why anybody plays football. It, it it's a banter. <laughs> it's the jokes and, and sniping at people, which is one of the great things about football fans. Um, you know, I mean, I I've seen sports events in America, um, and they're enthusiastic, but they don't have the passion that football fans have. You know, mm. they don't have the wit. Some of the wit of football fans is just awesome. You know, I mean, there was a story of uh, one goalkeeper, probably shouldn't name, 
it could be allegations of uh, bribery. And fans were waving £10 notes as he got run off the pitch. <laughs> you know, it's just splendid. And, mm. and I just think it's something about football fans, certainly in this country, who are just incredibly witty and funny. They can also be very naive, you know, but on the other hand, the jokes are great. Mm. And the songs are great. You know, um, you know, the crowd singing, we all live on a blue and white cop. All our friends are here on board, Jim McCallyog and David Ford. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's just awesome. And I know now everyone sings, you know, the current song, but then people used to just make them up with whatever was big in the charts. And that, again, was another thing which, I, I don't know, does that happen now? Do people make up songs? I don't know whether current songs lend themselves to that. Mm, not so much. I don't know. But um, yeah. Um, can you can you tell me? About... Sorry, go on. Sorry, I was going to ask. Like, um, how long has Honolulu Wednesday been a thing? I've got no idea. Hmm. You've just surprised me. No, I just randomly came up. I'm like, that is a, you know, it's a very antiquated chant. It's a, it's a beautiful antiquated chant that, like, I don't remember it. I, for some reason, <laughs> that's escaped my memory of um, the songs we used to sing. Mm. Um, I say we used to sing. That's when I had a voice and would join in this type of thing. But of course, other... I, of course, the other story. I must tell you this. Mm. I, um, because football fans used to be mixed up, you know, there was no segregated thing. You, you would basically stand in a, next to a bunch of the opposition and you would bait them and they would bait you back. And that, and that was the give and take of it all. But we were playing the other lot at Hillsborough in a local derby. And people had turned up obviously from work and there so there'd be their lot and Wednesdayites standing together because they were mates at work and I heard, overheard some of these um whatever they're called these other people um I heard the Wednesdayites saying um Wednesday were really unlucky last week when they hit the post and this very smug member of the other clan <laughs> said, ah, oh, that's not bad luck, that's bad shooting. Oh, okay. In the game, this other team proceeded to hit the post three times and this bloke looked furious because he wanted to shout a lucky <laughs> name of club and yeah. couldn't because it was bad shooting. So mm. kind of the object lesson there was, no, don't say something like that. Mm. Because as far as I'm concerned, the other lot have always, unlucky has preceded their name so often. Mm. But um, he couldn't shout it, poor soul. Mm. Um, you know, The other lot are always proud as well. They're proud of everything they do. Every failure, they're always proud. I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. But on the other hand, we're all proud of our teams. We might be rubbish, but it's our rubbish. <laughs> yeah. 
The other thing I just want to say is I used to have this theory about the 30-year cycle of Wednesday. I may have mentioned this to you many years ago. Is looking at the history of the club, we seem every 30 years to peak. So 1900, 1930, 1960. Oh, look, 1990. Yes. Europe, you know, we were in. Into Toto Cup, we were there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our last silverware, um, yes. Yeah, you know, and, and all the rest of this. And so we're due now, aren't we, in 2020, except somehow it didn't happen. Maybe the 30-year cycle has slipped out of sync. I guess so, because, I mean, you know, probably the best we've had is probably 2016-17 at Neck of the Woods. Yes. You know. Which was a sort of build-up to it's going to get better for 2020. And then, of course, other events took place, you know, which, which threw large spammers in the works, literally. You know, you know, people's health and Wednesday deciding that, um, you know, they could spend money, which supposedly, allegedly, they didn't have. I don't know. Mm. I must be careful. Um, uh, but. Um, yeah, maybe we're building back to that. Maybe it's just slightly delayed, you know. Maybe it's a 31-year cycle, 32-year <laughs> cycle. <laughs> Said he hastily consulting the astrology charts. Um, but, you know, one thing I will say, Luke, is that it has never been an easy ride being a Wednesdayite. I know there are teams who've never won anything. The problem for Wednesday is they have won things. And we tend to think we should be winning more of it. Um, I'm not a big believer in we are a big club. You are where you are. You know, the league table never lies, etc. But um, it has been uniquely tough being a Wednesday fan. Mm. Um, Largely because we are the senior club. You know, in the area, there's no, there's no two ways about that. Mm. Your turn. I well, I always, I was just going to say, I always still, I think I still love the imagery as as silly as it is of the sleeping giant. You know, mm. the eternal, the eternal hibernation of the sleeping giant. <laughs> 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 it might, it might slowly. Uh, slowly look like it's coming out of sleep or that you know when i'm uh when i'm your age perhaps maybe well I, I i hope that you have much success by the time you get to my age um it's rather a sadness for me that um you're i, I didn't go to wembley when wednesday beat manchester united mm. um, you know i, I went for the whole Terrible game against Hull. Was terrible. Yeah. Um, despite the enthusiasm of the fans, and I was at Wembley in '66 when mm. um, we lost a two-nil. Well, we threw away a two-nil two-nil lead. Everton were the luckiest team ever that day. But so it goes. That's football. Um, and um, I, I kind of didn't. Well, there was a reason because your older brother was in hospital yes. with, appendix, with his appendix. So I was going to say, I, yeah. um, I, I watched it from the comfort of a bedside chair with him as 
Wednesday beat um, Manchester United. But um, I did have a ticket, which I did actually um, hand over to somebody else, which they were eternally grateful for. But um, family first. So I would like to think that there, there should have been more events like that. There seem to have been a lot of semifinals where we didn't quite pull it off or mm. something happened. Um, and some of them were the usual suspects that we come up against, like Everton, you know. Um, but you still keep, as I say, it's our rubbish, and, you know, we still keep standing by it and still, you know, and, and I'm still puzzled why anybody likes anybody else in the area. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know... I, I know my cousin was a big, mad fan of the um, of the other team because I think he felt that he didn't want to be in a family which supported one club. Um, mm. You know, and, and so there are lots of reasons why people um, have allegiances. But, you know, Sheffield Wednesday are the senior club and uh, they're not getting away from it. And as senior club, everybody wants to beat us uh, in the area, you know. And sometimes, sadly, they do. <laughs> but this is a life of a true football fan. Mm. Whereas, you know, I mean, I, I now mix with people who have, um, you know, through my playing football at my advanced age, who have incredible allegiances to teams that they've never seen play. You know, mm. you know, I don't get that. Um, and, and, and just a little aside, there was a Plymouth fan who was the other week was saying about Wednesdays, and he was saying we beat you, you know, at Home Park or wherever they play. Mm. Um, and I just said, well, you know, yes, it was good, good results for your lads. Um, I just am so glad we don't support a team like Plymouth. <laughs> um, so so you know, there's always a bit of banter you can throw back at people, you know, when they're mm. trying things again. Anyhow, all banter. That's mm-hmm. what it's all about. Dada, I remember you did. Um, you were doing. You did a cartoon for a magazine called Foul. Was it called Rupture the Bear? Rupture the Bear and Foul Magazine. Yes, that that was quite something. It actually ended up Rupture the Bear on the wall of an animation studio in Toronto, I believe. But that's <laughs> they were that impressed by it. Um, the <clears throat> the um, idea behind foul was it was a kind of private eye of football and it was started in the 70s by uh, this guy I knew who wrote for television and his mate um, his co-writer they had quite a bit of success writing um, and even got uh, a play on television about life in a you know in a press box at a football match um but they started foul and they rejected stories of do you know that so-and-so is sleeping with so-and-so's wife but they tried to encourage people to 
look at the funny side of football and with it some of it the criticism of how football was run in the 70s now i got into this because i first of all i can draw a little bit so i was useful in, in that sense um and I, I didn't know these people but i went with a friend of mine to watch wednesday play at stoke at the old Stoke ground, which of course is no longer there. One of the many grounds I used to go to, which no, are no longer in existence, i.e. Highbury, with the famous punch on the head. But the at, at that time, football programmes um, were a little bit mundane. They were one colour, um, sometimes printed in the club's colour. So Wednesday programmes, were printed in a medium to dark blue on white. Um, so there were no colour pictures. In fact, there were barely any pictures in it ever. That wasn't really the purpose, I suppose, of the programmes. But the Football League Review was added to a lot of football programmes. And the Football League Review was a full colour magazine that was stapled into football programmes. It lasted a few years. And I suppose it was a general puff piece about um, uh, football generally. So I remember one cover, it had a picture of a guy who played for, I think, 13 league clubs called Frank Large. And they pictured him in each one of his football shirts from QPR, Northampton, Carlisle, etc. And that was the type of thing they did. And there was a note in it saying that a magazine had been started from Yorkshire, which was called something like Football Digest. I, the name escapes me. But it was basically a type... Sorry? Sorry, I was just enjoying Football Digest. That was quite funny. Yeah, and, and it was a typed-up thing, and it was printed very cheaply and stapled and you had to subscribe. It was not on sale anywhere. And the type of thing they had was articles by a man called Wing Commander Reap. And Wing Commander Reap did statistical analysis of goals. And I believe that people like Howard Wilkinson, who was a manager at Wednesday, of course, and big in the club's history, although he didn't really play many games for Wednesday on the wing, but certainly had a big influence on Wednesday's fortunes in the 80s. Howard Wilkinson used to sort of follow this idea of POMO, position of maximum opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's what people like Charles Reap did. They analysed football and said, if you get the players here, they will score more goals. It supposedly gave rise to that terrible thing that football fans hate, but secretly loved, which was the long ball forward. And Watford employed it, um, Wednesday employed it. And one of those things where everybody sneered and said, oh yeah, when Sheffield Wednesday do it, it's a long ball, but when Liverpool do it, it's the early ball. You know, and you just think, all right, you know, you're just making you know silly remarks <laughs> do, do, I, do I remember dad what was it one of the comic strips around the time I think it was about Wimbledon was it Dave Besson was the goalkeeper 
yes, he was. And uh, so the, the cart was put some snow on it, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. The ball would come down. In fact, I think one of the worst things I ever saw at football at Hillsborough was Vinnie Jones in a midweek floodlit match playing for Wimbledon. And the ball came to him on the centre spot and he hoisted a shot into the air so high it disappeared from view and eventually came down about a yard further forward than the penalty, than the um, centre spot. And it was like, mm, that wasn't very skillful. So mm-hmm. that was a long ball, almost went into orbit. Anyway, that's Wimbledon. So Charles Reap used to provide these articles. And there were various people like, uh, I, I think there were a couple of people who later became commentators on television. But within that, they had one month an article saying that these people were going to do a football magazine and called Foul. So I got in touch with them and they'd started it. And um, the guy who I came from Nottingham, who was my sort of main contact, um, and I got along really quite well. In fact, he is your elder brother's godfather. Anyway, the point being... That foul lasted for about 30 issues and it was sold in shops. It was sometimes hard to get hold of, but I did the logo for it, which had a player tackling the referee, um, which I suppose was kind of a snoop to authority. That's how foul saw itself. Well, I used to do various bits and pieces for them, including um, a sort of parody of comic strips. And one of them was Rupture the Bear. And Rupture the Bear was a football fan in the days of the 70s when people like um, punk bands had short trousers and bother boots and scarves around their wrists for some reason. Um, Bay City Rollers style. And um, Rupert, also known as Rupture, meets... Bill Badger or whatever his name was, who's taunting him about the Nutwood Cup. So I did that. The thing about Rupert the Bear was they were two panel cartoons with a little poem underneath, a little two-line doggerel under his picture, and a bit of a longer description. I believe people used to cut these out of the newspaper and save them, pasted in albums as sort of cheap comic books. But I did this little parody of Rupture the Bear, which, as I say, ended up somehow, I believe, on the wall of an animation studio in Canada. And um, I always remember your mother bursting out laughing as I read it out to her, the text, which was Bill Badger taunting Rupture with, you're still wearing those same old bleeding yellow trousers. Still makes me laugh, um, because that's what Rupert did. Of course, um, I, I didn't have colour in um, Fowl magazine, though they did do an annual which sort of had all sorts of things in of football to do around the country, and, and people contributed from all over. It was really quite interesting. It was very much a community effort in that sense. Um but they actually did an annual which had a, a um, which only one appeared and it had a colour cover. 
which had a picture from a Chelsea match of a player being bent over with someone behind him. And the sub-headline under the foul annual was the Chelsea Book of Unnatural Acts. So you can see the kind of thrust, of, no, no, I don't mean that, um, the thrust of the whole thing. So um, I did these cartoons and um, contributed little bits of uh, visual gags to it. And Rupture the Bear was one of them. It was a matter of great sadness for me that they killed an idea I had for a cartoon strip which was called Norma Huntress. And this was about women's football. Now, at the time when I did this, and I'm going to be slated by people who quite rightly defend women's rights to play football, there really wasn't any women's football. So I simply took football, the idea of football, of glamorous women in a very cartoony style, and they... And Norma Huntress was in the main character, which, of course, was a take on, as you can guess, Norma mm. Hunter. Mm -hmm. And um, the people, the girlfriend of one of the founders of the magazine hated it. She didn't like the idea of women being portrayed in this way. Things like uh, Norma played for the England under 34 Bs. Now, <laughs> I quite enjoyed doing this. <laughs> It was terrible, it was awful, it was funny, and they killed it. Um, you know, I mean, things like a football with the Mary Quant logo on it, for those from the 70s would know that Mary Quant had this flower kind of design on things, and so there was a football with a Mary Quant flower on it. All of that went, what a shame, but that's life. And that was Rupture the Bear and Foul. And what a great idea it was, but they just couldn't keep it going. They didn't sell quite enough. Mm. You know, promotion was non-existent, really. You just had to see it in a newsagent. And I think, you know, they probably, nobody ever took many of them. Um, but there, there was some good stuff in it. There were some good jokes in it. You know, as I say, they avoided the sleaze, which has always been in football, but mm. um, and drink stories and all the rest of it. But they constantly they did allow, and this was very much pre-social media. They did allow people to criticise clubs. I mean, I live now in Chesterfield. I remember there was an article about what went on at the old Chesterfield club on Saltergate and so on, you know. I don't know how much people had an insight on into what was happening or whether it was just grumbling, which I suppose is really social media. Mm. Um, but um, yes, that was Rupture the Bear. Um, I still remember, I mean, I, Dad, I, I, there are many great things that you've done uh, in your in your times, Dad. I, Thank you. Weirdly, Dad, Dad. <clears throat> I'm going to say uh, having getting to see the the sheer artistic beauty that you've put with uh, Rupture the Bear kicking Bill Bill Badger in the nuts <laughs> is something yeah. else. It you had to do it. I mean, I, I was on Rupture's side. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, not for violence and I've, I've never that, seen that it was, done yeah. as brilliantly, comedically and artistically as you did it. So thank you for that, Dad. Well, thank you. I mean, I tried to copy the style of the artist who was way better than me. But, you know, I used to have nightmares about Rupert because he lived in this endless forest and I, I, <laughs> I, couldn't, <laughs> and I couldn't work out why anybody would live in this endless forest with the occasional chimney poking up through the trees. Um, so I tried to draw that too. Um, probably wasn't an endless forest, I just didn't go anywhere. Um, but um, yeah, thank you. I, I mean, it was great fun doing things like that. And um, I just used to sit at home drawing these things, um, some of which went down better than others. I once did one of Don Revy, um, which was basically Don Revy being the former manager manager of Leeds. And, um, uh, you know, he then decamped to um, a Middle Eastern club, didn't he? Middle Eastern country. But the, all these were good, good fun, all these things. Um, but on the other hand, we don't really have the same print media now. So, you know, it, it wouldn't work now. Hence, you're doing the podcast um, rather than doing this in print. That's true. That's true. I, I think we've covered it all. Uh, anything that that comes to mind that we missed? or anything? Well, there's was... lots of things. It depends how far you want to go into it. I mean... Uh, <laughs> Memories play false in, in, in one sense. You know, you remember certain things as being magical when they weren't. And little things like, um, I remember watching uh, Wednesday B-Team at Hillsborough and Kevin Pressman had got the, you know, the goalkeeper's slot. And I did, when, did England beat Northern Ireland? I can't remember, but I do remember Pressman came out for a ball that was never his and this other team scored. And I remember thinking, that's your England chance gone, mate. You know, and, and, and you know, mm. hey, you know, you remember little things like that rather than sometimes, as I said before, the magic of, you know, flowing moves and fabulous goals and, you know, and so on. You, just little moments that stick in your mind and you think, oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. That was a shame. Other than that, oh, did, were you talking about top 11 players? We should name a sub. There should always be one substitute. By the way, here's a little known fact. Do you know when the first substitutes came on, the players did not have a numbered shirt? Really? So you have a player on. Yeah. You'd have a player on the pitch with Sam's with num no number on their Sam's back. number. Mm. Yes, and I mean that was. Um, I think the first time I saw a substitute come on was David Ford, um, and he and Wednesday didn't had gone out of that. They were in the interregnum where they didn't have stripes, and they had that blue body with the white sleeves for a few years. 
And he somehow looked incredibly thin without a number on his back. I remember looking at him thinking, <laughs> you look frail. <laughs> it lacked a white number on his back. Mm. Um, so numbers are fattening. This is what we've learned. Numbers are fattening, yes. Mm. Uh, particularly, obviously, the bigger numbers. So he would have had 12, which <laughs> then became the thing, because players only wore 1 to 11. Um, which did, did allow us to... Can I just say, it did allow us when um, uh, John Ritchie, who I mentioned before, scored a hat-trick for Wednesday, and he wore the number nine. And somebody, I remember saying, it had been a long time since a Wednesday number nine scored a hat-trick. Well, now you wouldn't say, it's a long time since a number 71 scored a hat-trick, you know, or whatever. Um, But yes, so... um, Wednesday, the old substitutes didn't have a number um, and they had to first only to be brought on for injury, which, of course, guess what? Players went down injured when they weren't. No, how dishonest we were in those days. It's a different and time, Dad, clearly. Mm. So who would be my substitute? Um, I would probably say Lee Bullen. Didn't he play in all 11 positions for Wednesday? He did indeed, yes. yeah. So he would have worn numbers 1 to 11, you know, and 12. <laughs> surely yeah. surely so, an alternative football chant in the making, along the uh, Nilsson and Hurst chant, you know. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, but um, oddly, uh, one thing I do remember is um, the kind of breakthrough of television coverage and there is I don't know whether it was true but the, the story goes um, that the commentator on BBC for those of you watching in black and white Manchester United are in red um, <laughs> um, this was the days when televisions were mostly black and white mm-hmm. um, but the, the kind of the transition one of the things that obviously I've observed is the transition from wall-to-wall football on television. You know, shall I watch the French League tonight or is there a game from Turkey on? You know, it's kind of the way football is now mm-hmm. on television. Um, but the, the the shockwave when a game was broadcast live, you know, other than the cup final, you know, now we expect every game to be broadcast live. Um, mm-hmm. And also newspaper coverage, how reserved it was. Um, although um, there was always drama. You know, I remember the headline Wednesday player gets booked. This was before yellow cards. A player called Pancho Pearson, his name was Mark, but he had long sideboards, you know, sideburns. Mm-hmm. And Pancho Pearson. Um, was booked, had his name taken, and this was headlines. Nowadays, it's really just sort of, yeah, how many players, you know, have been booked? Oh, look, only seven type of thing. But, yeah, football changes. Mm-hmm. And obviously for the better, it's faster, players are stronger, fitter, um, more skillful. Um you know, there's a lot of plus points about football now. Um, 
I mean, I remember you you mentioned before, can I just say, about watching other people. I remember uh, Gordon West, the, the Everton goalkeeper, coming out at the other ground for the second half with a cigarette, mm. you know, cupped in his hand, um, which he threw in the back of the goal, you know, having taken one last drag. I don't think that would really happen now. I don't think, you know, um, players would be having a fag <laughs> at half time. Um, but I, 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 one thing about my history of watching football is because I lived down south, I, I, I used to do things like just go and watch football anywhere. And I mean, I went to QPR when they played at um, a sports stadium called White City. And White City had been <laughs> built, I think, for um, the 48 Olympics. Mm. Can't remember. And um, it was horrible because there was, you know, it was like the shallow bowl. Not only was it QPR in what was third division, um, but, you know, it was a shallow bowl with a running track around it, which was even worse than Chelsea's dog track. <laughs> um, and the football seemed a million miles away. But I, I used to go and watch games at places like West Ham and you know Millwall, um, Spurs, Arsenal. Never went to Brentford. Um, but then again, I could turn up at places like Watford and watch um, somebody who played for Wednesday, Jim McInerney, um, brother of Tom, playing for Watford, you know, things like that. You see, that was the thing about football then, and forgive me for going banging on about this. I know I've talked about it before. Footballers were a kind of smallish group. They weren't international in that true sense. Mm. They were the home countries. You know, there were Irish players, Scottish players, Welsh players, English players. But you didn't really get anybody from abroad. So you kind of knew the same players were moving around the game. Mm. You know. Um, I mean, the story goes that... Um, by the way, just thinking of transfers, just a little bit of a memory just comes back. The story was that um, Wednesday had heard that Burnley were selling this winger who went to Manchester United. So, they, again, this is a time. they The secretary and the chairman jumped in a car and drove at high speed over to Turf Moor, where only to learn that this player was indeed for sale and had gone to Manchester United. And supposedly Wednesday, these two from Wednesday said, have you got anybody else available? <laughs> you know, while we're here. And uh, we ended up with uh, uh, Sammy Mapple, not Sammy Mapple, I can't remember his name. Sammy Todd, that was the guy. Sammy Todd, wing half for uh, Northern Ireland. You know, I, I just like the idea of turning up at a ground, you know, club and saying, have you got anybody for sale? Yeah, much much like a trip to the supermarket. Yeah, absolutely. You know yeah. what's on offer today. Mm. Yeah, but the football has changed, and and you know, great, great that it has. You know, there's so many good things now, and it's being able to watch it again in slow motion. You know, 
blink and you miss it in those days. Or in the case of a man turning up 12 minutes late on Boxing Day, you know, be slightly late and you've missed most of the, you know, the, the best bits of the game. So, um, yeah, football's different. Mm. Will continue to evolve, but where will Wednesday be? That's our only question. Indeed. Well, well, thank you so much, Dad. I I really appreciate you taking the time to yeah. chat to me thank and come you. on the podcast. And I I've really enjoyed this. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, and, and and good luck. It's been great podcast. Great listening. It's good to know that the spirit of Wednesday is alive. <laughs> Long may it last. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dad. Bye. Bye. So we're nothing but honest on this podcast, Luke. And I think in the interest of full disclosure, we're recording these sort of top and tail segments uh, in a position where I have heard around about half of your interview with your, your dad. And you have heard none of the interviews, Suzanne. Uh, so uh, this is a, this is a fun thing. This was this is a kind of speculative realm we're we're living in here. Uh, I hope so, yeah. But uh, I, I really enjoyed I've really enjoyed what I've heard so far. I can't wait to hear the rest. But how did you find the experience yourself? It was it was wonderful. Um, I it's funny because there's a lot of stories of chatting to my dad, things I've heard from chatting to him before mm. and some things that I've, I haven't heard before. I really enjoyed hearing kind of his analysis of the Wednesday 11. Yeah. Um, just cause it's, it's so interesting to think about like as, as dad, my dad was saying, like we never know what's how these players would stack up against yes. from days of yesteryear. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure that the when they do it in FIFA and they bring like, you know, Beckenbauer's card back and George yeah. Best, then I'm sure it's just immaculately comparison, you know. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure those geniuses have figured out a perfect comparison system. <laughs> um, but for the rest of us mere mortals, um, we just have to kind of kind of compare against. So it was really nice to mm. to have that dimension. And I, I guess also a bit more of the kind of generational thing as well. That was that was really nice to hear, just that kind of passing yeah. down and learning that I am a fourth generation Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Was the that, that, so I've heard, I have heard that's one of the elements I've heard, and I really enjoyed that the kind of span of years that were taken in there with that that eleven was was very enjoyable. It does make me slightly jealous because I think. <laughs> we kind of caught the tail end of a very golden period but uh yeah uh... and also to to get a bit of insight into the fact that yeah the the 90s was really a golden period Mm. and to to have you know then someone of my dad's age you know to to kind of think that for him kind of being around kind of mid 40s i think at the time Mm. You know, and then being like, you know, getting to see that, and then especially yeah. after seeing the generations he'd seen previously, yeah, in the real front. So that's really special, and, and maybe, maybe that's something that we might be able to afford and see in the rest of our life, lifetime Wednesday supporting careers. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Fingers crossed. But yeah, I love, I love just um, there's a there's a natural sort of 
element of sort of anecdotes tumbling together and things being you know events becoming in more closer and closer entwined through the years and things so yeah I really uh, yeah and uh, particularly enjoyed the amusement of being punched in the top of the head but also then that goes hand in hand with the tragedy of a young player uh, Dougie McMillan losing his leg and his career and so yeah just it's great I absolutely loved it and I I uh, I really laughed very hard at the the Roy of the Rovers rift because I've I, <laughs> I never really noticed that before, but then immediately on hearing, it, I was like, oh yeah, that because I did read a bit of Roy Roy of the Rovers. Maybe it was kind of throw throwback Roy of the Rovers in my time, but uh, mm. uh, um, very funny. Um, yeah, and I also think like funny in a weird way, kind of growing up, my oldest brother had uh, Viz. And oh, yes. they had a take on that Billy the Fish. Yes. Which I think I recognise more of the tropes from the satire. In a weird way, I I, I think this maybe says a lot about me and my generation. Like, yeah. someone, someone can mention a film and I'd be like, I haven't seen it, but I know the references from The Simpsons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. You yeah. Know? You've seen it through that, that fisheye lens of satire. <laughs> Yeah, uh, good stuff. Um, were there were there were there many sort of stories that were completely new to you? Were there any surprises in there? There were, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Yeah, there was there was some stuff. You know that story, particularly including the one about my dad getting punched yeah. on top of the head and Dougie Dougie McMillan. Uh, that was brand new. <laughs> and him getting. Uh, it was a bit of an addendum to the conversation. I kind of squeezed it in, I'll be honest, for sort of transparency. Mm. Um, but you know, him and my him and my mum and getting getting locked in at, at yes. uh, Millsborough was quite funny yeah. as well. That was, was, that was brand new. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of new jewels and some stuff. I just really glad that I got the chance to chat to him. Yeah, and have it kind of held for posterity. So yeah. I'm grateful, grateful I've got the, the vehicle to do that. And I think it lent itself to a fun episode. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, what a treat. Um, I'm looking forward to, to polishing off the rest. I'm going to gobble that up uh, on my journey I have ahead of me today. Um, but thanks so much for doing it. And thanks to your dad for doing it as well. It's, uh, it's a real treat. And um, it's top draw summer content from Different Gravy, which is, it's what we're known for, really. Obviously, yeah. It's what the brand stands for, folks. People say that stuff in the season is really boring where they just talk about the match that we've all seen, but the summer stuff, mm-mm, good. <laughs> um, well, anything else for the today's episode or we uh shall we shall we scoot off and wrap things up let's wrap this one up wrap this one up well yeah as i say thanks thanks to you thanks to yadar and uh we'll we'll see you again next week folks thanks very much look after yourselves thanks everyone see you bye